Thank you, Sue, very much. So at the beginning of the year, let me ask you a question. Do you think that 2023 will overall be better than 2022? Maybe ask your neighbor that and see what they think. Do you think 2023 will overall be better or worse than 2022? So it's a pretty live question, isn't it? It's a live question. 2022 could, could be characterized as a year of crisis. We had political crisis, didn't we? We had five education secretaries, four chancellors, three prime ministers, two monarchs, and one mini-budget, if you remember that. There's also war crisis, terrible war in Ukraine, which started in February. There's refugee crisis. UNHCR estimates that uh, global force displacement reached 108 million people in mid-2022. It's a terrible statistic. There was a uh, cost of energy crisis, two massive price hikes in April and in October, and you'll have felt the, the uh, impact of that. There's a cost of living crisis, so fresh food has gone up 15% in 2022. Uh, again, we felt the experience of that. There's an industrial relations crisis, particularly towards the end of 2022. All kinds of strikes invo involving rail and road and air and the NHS, to name but a few. There continues to be a climate change crisis. Last year was the hottest year on record in the UK, and also it was the first year where we went over 40 degrees in mid-July, if you remember that one. And uh, there was a mental health crisis in the UK, particularly post-COVID. Last year, over 8 million people were experiencing anxiety disorder at any one time, according to Mental Health UK. And so it's no surprise, really, that the Collins Oxford Dictionary said their word of the year last year was, anyone know? Permacrisis, exactly. There were some plus points to last year. Men's cricket, that was good. <laughs> Women's football, probably even better. Top Gun, that was pretty good as well. <laughs> but I was in the car last week and I was listening to Five Live and uh, they actually had a feature on where can you find hope in 2023? Where can you find hope in 2023? And, you know, I'm a vicar, so you can probably imagine what I'm going to say, where you can find hope. Uh, and, uh, and I will not disappoint you in just a moment. Um, but are you an optimist or a pessimist looking forward? The great um, theologian, Leslie Newbigin, he was asked, are you an optimist or a pessimist? And he said this, which is pretty enigmatic, and you have to think about it for a little while. He said, I am neither an optim optimist nor a pessimist, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That's his answer. I'm not an optimist. I'm not a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Essentially, he's redefining what it means by, uh, to, to live towards the future because of something extraordinary that has happened in the past. And so we're going to look at John's gospel because John's gospel is good news and that's what the word gospel means. And we're going to look at it between now and Easter. And uh, John's gospel is a remarkable gospel because it is a very good gospel if you haven't read the Bible much before. So for beginners to the scriptures, it's a really good way in. It really, um, it's very uh, accessible. Uh, but also for people who have been Christians for a long time, it is, it's an extremely challenging gospel. 
every uh, rereading of that gospel opens up new challenges, uh, new invitations to stretch our minds and stretch our hearts and our imaginations. As someone said, it's a gospel that kids can paddle in and elephants can swim in. So it's a really, it's a really useful text for us to look at and to listen to the Holy Spirit. So let's dive in just for a few moments in, into this prologue, the first 18 verses of chapter 1. It is a very uh, well, uh, a very famous passage. It's also an ex, uh, you know, extremely deep passage. You could spend time with that passage for the rest of the year, and the Lord would speak to you every day. It's very poetic. It's a good one to memorize. If you're not into Bible memorization, I really commend it to you. It's a, it's a great practice to get into this year because as you memorize Scripture, you start to marinate in it and, you, uh, and it, starts to, um, it starts to shape the way that you think and shape the way that you live. So I want to uh, just really make two essential points from the prologue. And if you've got um, John chapter 1 in front of you, that will help. It starts, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's an enigmatic beginning. Who is the Word? What is the Word? So people who have read the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and John's listeners who knew that, the Jewish people, as soon as John started with, in the beginning, it would have taken them back to the first three words, of the of Genesis, the beginning of the scriptures, where uh, it says, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. So, Jewish people would have heard the the beginning of the scriptures and God speaking light and life into being. And so when John says, in the beginning was the Word, he's referring to that, to, to God speaking and creating and bringing life. But even those who weren't Jews, they still had the concept of the Word, and the Word was essentially the starting point of the whole universe. So here you have the, the creation of the world, the pre-existent God, the pre-existent Word, who's there right before everything starts. They are the starting point of the universe. Everything happens through them. All of the world, with all of its beauty and trouble, says John, revolves around the Word. And in verse 17, the Word is identified as Jesus Christ. So everything, John is saying, everything in, in heaven and on earth and throughout the universe revolves around this one person who lived 2,000 years ago on the earth called Jesus Christ. He brought the universe into being. He's, he's supremely powerful. He's extraordinarily loving. He brings life, says John in chapter 1, and he shines his light into the darkness, and the darkness doesn't overcome it. So the Word is an extraordinary figure. And then the second thing that he says, after saying everything revolves around Jesus Christ, everything you could ever think of revolves around Jesus. That's a bold claim but it is the Christian claim. The second thing he says is in verse 14, and you'll remember this from Christmas, that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The Word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. Jesus, the word, entered our world and became one of us. He was made flesh. That meant he was made fully human. The writer Dorothy Lee wrote this about uh, uh, the word becoming flesh. It meant that he was subject to fragility and finitude. He was subject to limitation and susceptibility to pain, sorrow, grief, rejection, oppression, and death. That's what the word who created all things voluntarily came into our world to take on board. And it is the, an irony of ironies that John says that he came into the world that he created, but the world did not receive him, rejected him, and he experienced suffering as a result. So Jesus, the Word, knows what it's like to experience suffering and trouble, and the good news is that he comes alongside us in our trouble. So those are really the two points I want to make, and you can make thousands and thousands of points from this prologue and you will uh, as you take time in it it will sink into you and shape your life but let me recap for a second john here in this passage is describing the reality of the center of ev- at the center of everything everything revolves around this one person jesus christ everything and he's always existed he's with god he has relationship with god and he in fact is god He created the world we know. He gives life. He shines his light into the darkness. And he pours out grace upon grace into our lives and into our world. And so this majestic person, this extraordinary person, also then entered our world as a full human being, experiencing suffering, oppression, opposition, torture, and death. He didn't hold back on the full human experience, if you like. And so what we're starting to see as we think about those two points, those two essential things, is that we're starting to see two realities going on. And the first reality is ours. And if you think about your week ahead and what you have to, um, what you have to do or what you have to come up against and the people that you're with this week and what your everyday life consists of, it might consist of all kinds of friendships or work or sport. Uh, it might, you might be building a conservatory. Uh, you might be um, looking after some kids, but also at the same time, your kids, you know, one or two of your kids might not be happy at school. You might be having difficulty in paying the bills. Perhaps you're bored in your job or you've had an unwelcome health diagnosis uh, or, you're, or you're struggling with addictions to social media or drink or something like that. There's all kinds of good and bad things in our everyday life, and that is our reality. That is the first reality. Everyday life is our reality. But as you read John's Gospel, the beginning of John's Gospel, you start to become aware of another reality, and I would suggest to you a greater reality. And the greater reality is this, that Jesus Christ, who is God, who is good, who is powerful and loving, is the center of all things, actually. We like to feel like that we're at the center of all things because that's how we experience the world. But what John is saying, no, no, the center of all things is outside of you, And he is at the heart of everything. He created all things. He entered creation. He lived. He died. He rose again. And he places then his spirit into you so that you can start to experience this greater reality. So that you can live an extraordinary life in the middle of whatever uh, good things and whatever trouble you're experiencing in your reality. 
And so our task, I would suggest to you in 2023, and it is in every year, but in particular as we approach this year, we're not sure whether it's going to be better or worse than last year. Our task in 2023 is to lean into the greater reality which John describes here. Because we are very aware of what's around us. We can see it, we can feel it, we experience it, we taste it. And what the greater reality is harder to see. It's hard to, harder to perceive. It's harder to understand. And our job as people of faith is to trust into more what we cannot see than the re- our own reality that we can see and that we do experience. I don't know if you like um, sort of holding on to the promises of God that you find in Scripture. Here is one that Jesus says. He says this, In this world you will have trouble. Is that a promise you want to hold on to? In this world you will have trouble. Jesus promises it. But then he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's the greater reality, isn't it? In this world you will have trouble. That's what we experience quite a lot of the time. But take heart. Take courage. Because I have overcome the world, says Jesus. I have I created the world, I came into the world, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for you, uh, rose again, and I live to all eternity and I give my spirit to you so that you can live well in uh, the reality that you experience day by day. So we inhabit our reality while leaning onto the greater reality. This is faith, trusting the greater reality that we can't see over the immediate reality that we can. And as we trust and as we lean into that, the prayer that we pray is this. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So may what happens in heaven in the greater reality happen here on earth in our reality and transform it and make it and make a difference. And amazingly, God is going to gather up you and he's going to gather up me into that to be partners in that transformation. Now, we, as we read this, as we read the, that passage there, I don't know about you, but I experience a little bit of pushback. I feel like I'm thinking, this is just really somewhat unrealistic. It's impractical. You don't really know the difficulties I face. And then I remember that Scripture is, was being read for 2,000 years uh, and Hebrew Scriptures for longer. Uh, when, the, when people have read Scripture throughout history and in lots of different parts of the world, most of the people, most of the time, are in trouble. They're in difficulty. And the Bible is designed to be read by people who, uh, who, are, who are suffering and who are in trouble. And I would say probably the Western world in the last uh, few decades has been, has been a bit of a blip in human history where things have been... Uh, by comparison, fairly serene, until maybe about the last five years. Um, and, but the Bible is read, as theologians say, from below rather than from above. It's, it's read by people who are in all different kinds of places and in all different kinds of parts of history, but they're generally in trouble. And so, chapter 1 of John and the rest of Scripture are supposed to be a comfort that there is a greater reality that is good 
that's at the heart of the universe. And his name is Jesus Christ. People of faith acknowledge the reality of the crises around them, but they choose to lean into Jesus. And John makes the point that Jesus made God known in human history, and his spirit, Jesus' spirit, the Holy Spirit, does the same for us right now. So, come back to what Leslie Newbigin said. He's holding these two things together. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist, he says. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. I am holding on to that greater uh, reality that's at the heart of all things. And I'm trusting, even though I can't see it, that he is there and he is with me and he will make the difference. So how do we lean into, into Jesus? There are very simple ways which Christians have used down the years, but I would just want to really recommend to you again, reading scripture, taking time to pray, maybe taking time to fast, or uh, pull yourself out of certain things so that you can attend to God. Uh, it's not rocket science, but it is actually just doing it. And, uh, and as we do it, as we make space for the grace of God in our lives, then we start to experience that Jesus is actually at the heart of all things and that he then becomes at the heart of our own lives and our own experiences. And then he uses us to transform situations around us. So if you are, if you may have made New, New Year's resolutions, you may not have yet, but I would just encourage you to make a resolution around that, of doing something that puts you in a place where the grace of God can get to you uh, with more ease. And it does, and... God has designed that through scripture, through worship, through um, prayer, through taking bread and wine, all these different kinds of means of grace. But they're only means of grace to us if we reach out and we grab hold of them and do something.